You are listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast. You can find us at www.destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Happy listening. Thank you, everybody. You can take your seats. It's great that we do communion once a month, and it means that, it's funny, we were out in Kingdom Streets yesterday morning, and uh, Diane and I were having a bit of banter, and she said, oh, is it communion tomorrow? We better be nice to each other. Um, And if you're anything like me, uh, you remember it's communion tomorrow, and you think, mental note, don't let arguments kick off, because it wouldn't be good. But what I would encourage you to do is to live like that. If you have, uh, you've let your soul loose, here we've all been there, and uh, you're eating grass or you've hurt somebody, then just deal with it. And the shorter that you keep your accounts, the less that you have to deal with. But I have the sense that there may be a few people here today that have things that they need to deal with that may seem insurmountable or may seem very difficult. But what I would encourage you to do is get out of the boat and walk on the water. It may seem impossible for where you're sitting right now. It may feel rocky when you stand up, but I uh, prophesy to you that if you have the courage to exercise your faith and get a little bit of violence, see what I did there, um, and step out of the boat, the water will become hard and there'll be a way on. And there's areas that are maybe sick in your life or weak or have actually died that may well come back to life because of your courage to do that. Okay? On that happy note, lovely to see you all. It's May and it's blinking freezing. Not sure what's actually going on with that. I'm slightly concerned about the plants which I just put out in the garden. They may die now, but hey-ho, the life of a gardener. So in talking to a few of you last week about the violence of love, are you all tracking with it? Do you all get a, have you got a handle on it? I know that a couple of that I've spoken to were going, not so sure, don't really know what you're trying to communicate. I hope that that may be actually onto something and that you maybe have to get a little bit of violence to lay hold of this thing as to what it actually is that we're talking about. But I want to um, give you a little bit of a recap of the ground that we've already covered. So the violence meaning God's in-work persuasions, guiding and empowering the believer to act forcefully, fired up by God to act by his revelation of love. The violence of love, meaning that God's inside there urging, firing you up, guiding you and directing you, but you've got some violence about you. Now, if you're tripping over the word violence because the, the word that you're interpreting it as means hurtful or damaging or all of those images that we see in TV or have seen around us or experienced, then that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is laying hold of something. And a number of you have commented on the different analogies that were used, and uh, that's, I'm not that good. So if the analogy of the father with the sweets got you, that God's going to come on and wrestle me for them, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a God that is going, come on, come on if you think you're hard enough, come on, come on, come on and get it. Because a lot of our Christianity, we sit and go, Yes, that's right. What's the next step? To do something. Amen, Tishy. And what we've been taught is that we come to church, we sit down, 
We give them some food. It's like the birds. Just open your mouth and it's guzzled in. And then you just, that's it. And what we're saying is, okay, you believe that. Go. If you want an example of the violence of love, look at Jesus Christ. Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of the heavens is taken by violence, and the violence sees it. Biazo, the Greek word means properly to use power to forcibly seize, laying hold of something with positive aggressiveness, to advance forcefully, and it's only used twice in the New Testament. And here in DCB, a number of years ago, I gave a message about being the house of the hunt. We're always in pursuit of God, always hunting for his activity, his ways by his means, hunting for opportunities to serve, and we're always hunting for wholeness in ourselves and in others. So in this house, we're going to give you everything that you need, but you're going to have to come and get it. And it's important that we translate life correctly. I gave the example last week of um, there are several different interpretations of that verse. And one indicates that people are trying to ransack the kingdom and it's negative and it's bad and it's violence and there's assault and there's attack. The other one, which I would put to you as the correct interpretation is the kingdom of heaven is there to be taken and it will only be taken by those who have some violence about them. That's not the Jesus that largely we've been taught. What we've been taught again is, just sit there. What is actually the truth is, you need to get up. We've got to rewire our minds to be able to apprehend what God is doing and what he wants us to do. Romans 12 too, I ask it nearly every time I say it, can anybody just reiterate it now? Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then after that, Paul lays out actually what are the benefits of that. So the question to you is, will you renew your mind? Mistranslation leads to misunderstanding, and you've got to renew your mind in regard to the word violence when we're talking about this. If you don't, you'll just stumble at the word violence and stop and go, I'm not really sure what he was talking about, but sure, we'll wait for the next message series. Life is full of opportunities to translate and to understand. And Proverbs 25.2 says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. So God hides something, and we've got to go and find it. Is that the God that they told you about? We thought it was going to be obvious, didn't we? We thought that there would be provision on the front end. And we thought that we were going to be the thing that he was actually telling us that we could do. When in actual fact, God calls you into something that you can't possibly do and equips you by your obedience to do the thing that you can't do by getting up and starting to do it. And the way the world works is you go to school, you go to university, you get your diploma and you start your job. And the way that God goes is, you start your job, you get your diploma, you get your, uh, what's after that? You get your degree, get your master's, get your PhD. So you've got to get up. If you're in the place and you're going, I can't do what he's asked me to do, what am I going to tell you? What am I going to say? Embrace the grace. He's just using his language. The way he's just trying to slip in your message series there. (laughs) 
if you, I really got something about this. If you cannot do what he's asking you to do, you have found the thing that he has called you to do. When's it going to be more obvious? Is it going to be more obvious whenever you've got efficacy in and of yourself, your soul, and your personality? Or when you're standing up at the front going, I'm trained to be a photographer? A friend of mine who loves me dearly said to me, Colin, this is ridiculous. You're already out in a limb. You're trained to be a photographer. And I love it. So don't put me in that category. Don't do that. This is about you. Okay? I feel like I'm whoosh. Okay. Enemies of translation. Your soul, your own understanding, and the enemy. The soul cannot interpret what the spirit is doing, and the enemy wants to twist and distort reality so that you're deceived and standing in pride and unbelief. So you've got two enemies in all of this, and the enemy wants to skew everything around so that you're going to misinterpret it. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and I think there's the potential for miscommunication, particularly, well, not partic- particularly everywhere now, I'll say, what did you hear me say? Do you, did you hear me or did that hurt you at all? Or what did you hear me say? And sometimes people go, I'm fine. I'm thinking, you're really not fine. And you'll ask again, Are you sh- do you understand what I'm saying? I'm fine. And then you have to leave it. But typically either then there'll be the departure from the relationship or else there'll be a lot of time will go past and there'll be some difficulty. If we can get a handle on that, we just say, can I just ask you, what did you mean when you said that to me? I'm in good relationship with Mark and with Andrew. I frequently ask them both, can you give me a wee bit more? Can you tell me what you meant when you said that? Claire and I, love, I, I, can you, what did you mean when you said that? Because this is what I took. It's about gardening relationships. Okay? So what are you mistranslating? What are you misunderstanding? Where are you letting your soul translate what the Spirit is doing? And where have you let the enemy translate the circumstances? This is a biggie. Listen to this. Where have you let the enemy translate the circumstances of your life and overwhelm and depress you? Message two. The violence of love determined and per- determination and perseverance. Let me give you a definition of determination. And let me give you a Bible verse before I do that. Isaiah 50 verse 7, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know that I will not be put to shame. So to set your face like flint would mean I watch him like a hawk on a Sunday morning. Why do I watch him like a hawk? Because he's the leader. Because he's the leader. If he tells me to change the tempo, I change the tempo. I literally sat and stared. And I was saying this morning that for some odd reason, when I play the djembe, I always lean my head over this way. I don't know whether it's some part of it, but I always have done this. And I've been playing that. I was counting this morning for about 21 years. Just put my head that way. So I have to intentionally move my head around and focus on him. I focus on him because he's my leader. I'm his, but in that context, he's my leader. Now, I could pull the trump card. I'm not going to do that. He's my leader. So I set my face like flint, and I'm going to stare at him, all right? And he's great to follow. 
because he knows what he's doing and he knows more than I know. So I set my face like Flint, right? Flint, now this is a good uh, description. This was a Easton's Bible Dictionary. It says that Flint abounds in all the plains and valleys of the wilderness of the 40 years' wanderings. Where the word flint is used, this means that the Messiah would be firm and resolute amidst all contempt and scorn which he would meet, that he had made up his mind to endure it, wouldn't shrink from any kind or degree of suffering which would be necessary to accomplish the great work in which he was engaged. Dictionary definition of determination, the quality of being determined, firmness of purpose. Some synonyms. Resolution, resolve, single-mindedness, sense of purpose, steadfastness, perseverance, tenacity, tenaciousness, staying power, strong-mindedness. Do you get the picture? Perseverance, let me read this. 1 Corinthians thirteen seventy. a part of the great uh, marriage. I don't know. Does anybody else, when they hear that read at marriage, just think, that's an awful lot to put on a couple that have just newly got married? But people go, oh, I love that first. I'm thinking, that's an... That's human sacrifice right there that you're talking about. It's not la, 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 la. So this is 1 Corinthians 13, 78. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, love always perseveres, and it never fails. There is nothing more violent than love. You want to stay married? You're going to need to get some violence about your love. You want to stay in relationship with anyone? Get some violence about your love. We're not quitting on anyone. We're a community known for his love. We are not quitting on anyone. I may want to in my soul, but I am not quitting on you. How about you? The Greek definition of perseveres is hopumeno, and it means to remain behind to stand your ground, to show endurance, to endure, to bear up against, and to persevere. And it literally means to remain under the load. Ooh. Bearing up and enduring. And for the believer, this uniquely happens by God's power. So I'll say that again. Bearing up under the load. Sometimes it feels like when you say yes to God, he just puts his hand on you. And Oh, the Lord's hands on, oh, I sense the Lord's hands on, oh, the Lord's hands on your life. You want the Lord's hand on you? Feels like this. Oh, why does it feel like that? Because he's not letting you go. Now, he may, if you ask him, don't do that. But it's bearing up under the load of what he's asked you to do and staying there and letting the load change you, and letting the load strengthen you, letting the load expand you, and letting the load eke out the grace that is needed and is evident for the call that you have on your life. I was watching Channel 4's First Dates. Have you ever seen? No? Claire and I love all that. It's really, really interesting. But the, the guy, I'm trying to do his accent, but Fred, who's French, he said, well, love is, uh, it is an amazing feeling. Love is, uh, you feel like you can do anything, anytime. Huh? I know, yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you. Took a lot out of me, that. But love is, love's a feeling. I'm feeling, oh, I'm just so in love. Oh, I've just fallen in love. Oh, it's intoxicating. Don't you want that feeling? It's all about you, how it affects you. 
When God talks about love, it's not about a feeling. Though at times your emotions will react violently against it. I don't really like being in love sometimes. This type of love prioritizes the other rather than self. And Pat Barrett, who wrote the song, The Banner Over Me Is Love, what did you think of that? Did you enjoy that? His banner, his banner over me is love, I'm feeling love. I was listening to it in the kitchen yesterday and lost it. (laughs) Doing my pesto chicken. (laughs) Managed to hold it together this morning. But he also wrote this song and it's called Seals. And he says, falling is easy, but staying in love is hard. Hard to be honest, hard to keep our heart open to be who we truly are. Without the excuses, without the facade, there's no pretending here in your love. Determined perseverance. Here's my definition. Single-focused, undiminishing, grace-fueled intention, yielded to the process required to fulfill the God-given vision. Determined perseverance is single-focused, undiminishing, grace-fueled intention, yielded to the process required to fulfill the God-given vision. Now, if that just sounds like a whole heap of words, please let me encourage you that you can do this. If I can do this, you can do this. I don't matter. He matters, and he says you can do this. So you may take assessment of where you're at and go, that's beyond me. If you make agreement with that, it will be on you. If you make agreement with this is possible, then you're going to be able to do this. And I want to unpack it a little bit. Single focused. David prayed this in Psalm 86 verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness and give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. James said this, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, and he's unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness, have we all been there? I'm in two minds about that. I'm not sure what to do. I've been in double-mindedness with uh, the sin of unbelief, and it's been torment, real horrific torment, and it's not a place where I wanted to go. Double-minded literally means a division, division, having two minds, two visions. I'd suggest to you that double-mindedness is having the mind of the spirit and having the mind of the soul. So when you're in a circumstance and you're thinking, God's really calling me. I'm sure, come on, we've all got this t-shirt. You can all hide behind your hand or fold your arms or sit there quietly, but you're all going to be able to identify with this. God asks you to do something and your spirit goes, that's totally God. And your soul goes, no. And then you say, I'm really torn. Why are you really torn? Why are you dizzy? Is it getting irritating yet? But is you know, I, I, I could keep this up for the next 20 minutes. If it gives you the point and actually you hear the spirit in it, then it's worth every single step. You need to understand that you're doing this all the time. And then you're irritating your family. Your wife's losing it. The people don't want to work with you anymore. You're exhausted. 
I don't know why I'm exhausted. Gee, I'm not exhausted like this all the time. And everybody else is going, you're literally walking backwards and forwards between these two arguments. Have you really had enough yet? Either the spirits on this or I'm absolutely ridiculous. I'm quite calm standing still. I can hear a lot more. I've got a lot more energy. I'm more in control of myself. I'm not going to slip and fall. I'm not going to miss you. If I'm in double-mindedness, I'm staring at either ends. When I actually stand and do what I'm supposed to do, I can see everything that I need to see, and I'm covered. We need the Word of God to divide between the soul and the spirit so that we can yield solely to the Spirit of God. The messages that we're given, this is tough stuff, but this is where it's at, and this is where the rubber has to hit the road. And if we are frustrated with patterns in our lives and we're desperately asking for the way on, this is what you need to do. Grace fueled. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I've already covered this a little bit a little earlier on, but you cannot do in and of yourself what God's asked you to do. It involves normally, if you look at this verse, an area of personal weakness. And two, you can only do what God does if God empowers you to do it. So he asks you to do it so that you know that you can't on your own and then you have to be in relationship with him and then he does it through you. Although if somebody comes up to you and says, you did a great job there and you do that highfalutin super spiritual religiosity, which is, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. No, I'm pretty sure you were present. Why the word intention? Let me read you an excerpt from Dallas Willard's book, Renovation of the Heart. Now, an intention is brought to completion only by a decision to fulfill or carry through with the intention. If I intend to obey Jesus Christ, I must intend and decide to become the kind of person who would obey. That is, I must find the means of changing my inner being until it is substantially like his. pervasively characterized by his thoughts, his feelings, his habits, and his relationship to the Father. People who do not intend to be inwardly transformed so that obedience to Christ comes naturally will not be. No matter what means they think of themselves, they are employing. God is not going to pick us up by the seat of our pants, as it were, and throw us into a transformed kingdom living. So the problem of spiritual transformation or the normal lack thereof among those who identify themselves as Christians today is that they do not intend to be transformed. So if I was to say to you, let's do lunch, now hopefully for most of you, any time that I've said, let's get a date together, that's happened. If I have dropped it at any point, I apologize, come and talk to me and we'll get a time organized. But if I said to you, let's do lunch, and then three years pass by, we've all had those, haven't we? Let's do lunch sometime. And we've probably unfortunately been the ones who've said it. When we, going by this interpretation of intention, When I said to the person three years ago, do you want to do lunch? Did I actually intend to have lunch with them? No, 
because if I did, I would have made it happen. Now, probably what I was doing was trying to find a way to pull the ejector switch on the conversation or the relationship, or I was fearful of what they would think of me if I didn't sort of talk to some ongoing relationship. Now, I'm the other end of the spectrum. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine said to me, uh, will you come back and see me sometime? And I said, I probably won't. Ooh, eyebrows are going up. Ooh, that's harsh. Now, I need to add a bit of grace to that. And I could have said, listen, I really appreciate your invitation, but, you know, and found language that in some way would have softened the blow a little bit. But it was honest. If we intend to do something, then we get it done. So intention is the completion of what's intended. And then the word vision, the arrow of destination church Belfast, is heading towards the person of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. If you do not have revelation-giving vision, you will not embrace the necessary restraints to realize the vision. Let me give you an example. A diet. I want to be looking like this. Now, you may be seriously deluded because God didn't wire you that way, and it's never going to happen. But if God was saying, you can look like this if you employ the necessary restraints and you self-control to stop doing what you are doing that's caused you to be as you are, that's what a diet is. So a vision, when you have it, causes you to yield yourself to the necessary self-controlled restraints to be able to get to the vision. So if you've lost vision, you will let go of the necessary restraints. So if you find that you're lacking in discipline, a little bit at the minute, you can use all of your willpower that you have. I'm going to be disciplined. Nah, it won't work. Get some vision back. What's he doing? What did he show you in the first place? What was it that he called you to? You're not going to be able to just uh, ring it up and be able to do the disciplines because what are you doing them for? There's got to be the vision that calls you on to embrace the necessary restriction to get it done. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race set out before us. Let, our, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had vision. Have you seen The Passion of Christ, the movie? And there's a bit where he's carrying the, the cross and he says, I'm making everything new. And on he goes. There was no way that he could have done what he did if he did not have vision that was sent by the Father to him as to what he was going to accomplish in yielding himself to the suffering and the torture that he did yield himself to. And some of you are not yielding yourselves to the necessary difficulty of the journey because you don't have vision of the joy that is set before you. So rather than beat yourself up, why don't you go to them and go, I don't want to do this. Would you give me a reason for doing it? If I said to my kids, you've got to do this, 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 and this, and you're not going to do that, just because I said they may do it, but they'll start to have offense and difficulty towards me. If I say to them, okay, this is going to be tough, but you need to do this, this, and this, because we're going here. It's exactly what he wants to do with you. 
Determined perseverance, single-focused, undiminishing, grace-fueled intention yielded to the process required to fulfill the God-given vision. And Nathan, could I get you guys to come up? I want to give you one biblical example of the violence of love and determined perseverance. And I've used this before, but I think there's gold in it, so I'm going to use it again. Luke 11, 9 to 10. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So knocking is an activity which is almost violent that seeks to gain entry from one place to another by the correct means. And is a door that has to be opened for you, but you've got to request access. The dictionary defines it as striking the surface noisily to attract attention, especially when waiting to be let in through a door. So this part of the process, this bit requires us to believe that we have the right to move into or to enter. So you're not going to be violent about anything unless you believe that you should be. You're not going to come and ask me to pastor you unless you believe that I'm your pastor. And even at that, that might cost you quite a bit to say, could, could you talk to me or could you help me? It's about dominion. Putting your foot down in the necks of the kings so that you can take the land. And you're requesting access. Now this is a little bit more of Luke 11 from 5 to 10. This is a good example. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine's on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and the children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Yet I tell you that even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So the man had no shame. And we say that quite negatively. Oh, they've no shame. Oh, they've no shame. Why do you want some? Do you want to hold on to the shame that you already have? Because of his shamelessness, because he was without shame, he persisted on knocking of the door on the door which held his provision. Would you stand with me, please? The dictionary defines shame as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. And it defines audacity as a willingness to take bold risks. So what am I saying? I'm saying that shame will stop you from knocking with persistence on the door of your destiny. So what is stopping you from the violence of love and determined perseverance this morning? the question do you want to keep letting it stop you and as always I've got a few questions to help you to respond are you double minded having two minds with two visions anywhere in your life or are you fearful to follow God's vision for your life because of personal weakness and then finally is shame preventing you from exercising the violence of love yes to any of these questions or you simply want ministry please come and join me now you have been listening to Destination Church Belfast weekly podcast remember to check us out at www 
destinationchurchbelfast.co.uk and have a great week.